You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Today we're going to be talking about all the springtime management projects. Matt and I have a long list of things to cover, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Matt, would you care to join us rather than write your notes over there? <laughs> hey, you catch me at a bad time here. No, I, I think that this is a really important podcast because it, it's kind of like, where do we even begin with springtime management? It, it's an important time of the year because everything's starting to green up. You know, does have got fawns in them, hopefully, and antlers will be developing soon. We've got um, turkeys laying eggs. We've got clover. We've got food plots to address. We've got prescribed fire equipment to get ready. So it's kind of, where do we even begin? Well, you said there's two things that came to mind while you were talking, and, and I think the question— Only two? Only two. <laughs> um, big things. Once I got in my head, they stuck. And all the time we get the question— what can I do this time of year? What can I be doing this time of year? Right. And it doesn't matter if it's this time or summer or whenever it is. People are always trying to find out what they can do. What's the best use of their time right now? Yeah. And so hopefully with this podcast, we can help share things that we're doing to improve our farms mm -hmm. and that they can just dive right in and continue with theirs. Absolutely. And then the other thing, I'm already drawing a blank. Um Let's go ahead and get started with that first one, and I'll think about that. It must not have been that good. Well, obviously, as we're talking about planting and growing, soil samples are huge. This is the best time of the year to take a soil sample because you're preparing for the year, and you want to get started on the right foot. So right now, and it sounds so simple because it is that simple, but it, it's simple yet really, really important to get a, a good jump start to the year by knowing that you're going to be able to supply quality food in your food plots. So just take a soil sample. Boring, boring, boring. But it has to be said. Yeah, it's it's one of those, it's like, you don't you don't build a house without without a foundation. Right. And that's that's basically the foundation of it all is, is healthy soil. Absolutely, because as we know, plants, food plots, or the nutrient transfer agents from the soil to the plant. Deer consume it. You're only going to get, like improve your herd as much as the soil really will allow. Mm -hmm. And um, don't let that be a limiting factor because you haven't taken a soil sample. Just take the soil sample. We were at a, we were at a consult this past week, and, 
and um, there are some small grain that had, you know, it showed signs of lacking <sighs> nutrients. Yeah, lacking. It was yellowing, um, so likely deficient in nitrogen, this and that. But you know, just by taking a soil sample and adding the right amendments, that forage could have been that much more attractive. Honestly, I would hate for a neighbor of mine or, you know, the Prairie Hollow property to take a soil sample, have their food plots much more attractive, and then come deer season, they shoot one of our hitless bucks, one of our, a hitless buck that we've been chasing off their food plots because they took the time to take a soil sample and, you know, make the necessary amendments. It's kind of one of those, that phrase for athletes is, is, uh, Hustle beat hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle. Exactly. And this is one of those times when it's and it's time to hustle. Time to hustle. And and that is starts with soil sample. And a lot of these, you know, the other thing was, you know, did, did I, you, I, go, did you I remember remembered what it was. So it's like springtime. This is the time to really grind it out. This is what yeah. it, this is an important time. Um, rather than put it off until August and then start going trying to plant some food plots, plots or, or, yeah yeah it, this is the time that separates the men from the boys if mm. you there you go mm. and so we're trying to help you guys understand the the little things this is kind it of is. the little things and uh, we can hustle and and do these little projects and really improve the habitat and overall hunting experience on your property right Absolutely. and uh, number one thing soil sample yep getting a soil sample in the spring um, and, and that's not to say you buy a property or you get access to a property late in the summer. You can't take a soil sample then. Correct. But this is just, now's a good time. You don't have hopefully a lot going on with, with other habitat pro- project. This is a time you can pull a soil sample. goes without saying it needs to be somewhat dry. You don't want to take it when it's mud. Right. Um, but you're taking the soil sample. So we'll just try and walk them through the, the steps. Absolutely. So when you approach a field, take a soil sample. You know, you want to make sure it's not mud. Yeah. And hopefully it's not too rocky or you're in for a good time. Absolutely. And so you want to take a soil sample with a soil probe. You can buy stainless that. Stainless steel. Soil stainless probe. steel soil probe that you can buy at hardware stores, Lowe's, yeah. Home yep. Depot, any of those places. And you want to make sure it doesn't have rust on it or you're you're basically taking the soil sample and dumping it into a bucket, preferably a bucket that doesn't have rust in it um, or a bucket that's been... Basically, you want a clean bucket. That's just what a clean I, in plastic simple bucket terms, works. Just clean fine. plastic bucket with no chemicals or paint or whatever in it. That way, you don't get inaccurate readings. So you take this. You're basically looking for an average. So, figure eight, whatever through a food plot. You basically want a, a, a random a, sample. A random sample. It's not. It's not that hard. Just go out there and randomize where you're where you're sticking the soil probe in. Grab the sample, mix them up. And by random, you mean a little bit from the east end, a little bit from the north end, a little bit from the central part, a little bit from the west. Just an overall average, probably a sandwich bag full of of, uh, soil and and label it. And and a lot of times, depending on where you're sending it, a lot of like here in Missouri, we have the Missouri State Extension Office that takes them or there's Waters Ag. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even Mossy Oak natives take soil samples. There's all kinds of places to send soil samples. And you basically just label it and send it in and tell them what you're wanting to plant. And usually they'll give you a pretty good idea of what you need, Absolutely. what your soil lacks. Yep. And that's that's pretty simple, but it goes a long ways. It, it goes a long ways. And, and even in the um, um, you know, upper-level soil samples that you're able to take and send in to specific companies, you can specify exactly which crop you're going to be planting and that way, it takes into account that soil sample and that data that they're giving you 
it gives recommendations on specifically the requirements that, that crop will need based on this current sample that's that's given. So if you're kind of one of those people who doesn't really know how to understand or read a soil sample and you know you'll be planting soybeans or you know you'll be planting corn in that food plot, if that option is available to you, specify I'm planting corn. And then that reading and, and soil if it's test. not, go somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just go most places will take that and, and they'll take in the, that into consideration and help you. So if, if they don't, I would say go somewhere else. Yeah, if you're needing that information, go everywhere. <laughs> there's places everywhere else. Yeah. And so you can do that. And then not only that, but when you get that soil sample back, you can take that to a fertilizer plant or anywhere you can get fertilizer yep. and say, this is what I need. And they'll usually help you mm-hmm. along the way uh, yep. figure out how well, to... Depending on the quantity, they might be able to mix you a... a basically it's a customized mix for your property and you know that it's going to take quite a quantity to do that mm-hmm. but if not they're going to be able to um get you into the right ratio of n p and k which fertilizer is the best for what your food plots are, are lacking and how much to apply even per food plot of that mixture so yeah. um there's a lot or, of, and a lot of those places also will rinse you the buggy oh yeah absolutely so. pull behind if you got a tractor or you know, whatever it might be yeah and and you know this is one of those things you know cuz hopefully People listening have they range from people with two thousand acres or five thousand acres mm-hmm. with a hundred acres of food plots, fifty acres of food plots, to the guy that's got twenty acres with a quarter acre food plot. Yeah. No matter what, if you're planting a food plot, this is where we'll we'll use this phrase again. Hustle beats talent when talent do- doesn't hustle. If we're planting a quarter acre food plot, why not make that the very best quarter acre on oh, the yeah. on the property? Absolutely. So instead of planting a food plot and not putting in the proper um, fertilizer or, or lime, whatever it is, whatever your soil is lacking, then w- why not add that so you have just the absolute best food plot you can have? No doubt. No and doubt. And, and like we talked about in the podcast prior, and we'll talk about it again, I know, at some point down the road. We are going to beat this dead horse. <laughs> podcast, I mean, excuse me, food plots, wow, food plots are, are for attraction. They're not going to feed deer, you know, their entire diet throughout an entire year. They're for attraction and a hunting source. So make them as attractive as possible. Yeah. I think we beat that dead horse pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Moving sure. on. We'll hit it next <laughs> next podcast. Yeah. See you next week. We're going to talk about it. Um, so uh, another management uh, thing to, to occupy time that, honestly, I think is really important and. It's management to a to a standpoint because it's managing your hunting strategy, but it's scouting. Get out in the woods. You know, you've got all that information that you've been thinking about over the, um, you know, the the off season. The off season, right? February, March, when you've had cabin fever and you're sitting at I was, home going. Cabin I fever is exactly what I was trying to think of. I knew it was. Thank you and for, so, uh, for doing that. Yeah, stealing my thunder. Uh. And so. You know, they're scratching their head going, man, where was he when I, when yep. he wasn't, when he was showing up on camera and I wasn't seeing him, where was he? Well, the great thing about scouting now during the spring, before, and this is more before spring green Before out, leaf out, right. There's all that sign from the past fall, all Very the scrapes, visible. all the rubs, all the trails, all the beds, like it, all those things are still out there. And you can see forever. Yeah, you can see forever. And it's just one of those things that. You can walk around and say, oh, dang, I didn't I, look at this scrape line. I didn't realize this was here. Mm-hmm. Wow, look at this trail. I should have been hunting here. Well, now is a time where you move the stand and get it ready. That way you don't have to go back in there till next fall. If that place is accessible, absolutely. 
you know, now is the time to go and, and search a little bit more, maybe deeper into the woods where you're not too worried about, you know, the pressure that you're going to put on these deer and limiting their daylight activity because you're not hunting them this time of year. Don't go in and bust, you know, run deer out and, and, and be crazy, but go in and, and thread the needle a little bit more and find out how these deer are moving through this timber. And you might find one of those places that says, I can actually get here. Maybe I'll come off this road instead with this wind and, and be able to access this point that I didn't even know was here. And, and it sets up better than what you have uh, currently. So Some of my best spots are I found this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of them I found even during turkey season. Right. Yeah. So it's just a great time to get out, scout. Move stands if necessary. Ticks aren't bad. Oh, don't get me started on that. I would much rather move stands now right. than move them in August or move them in July or move them in June. Any time after May, I would rather move them right now. Yes, no doubt. So get out, start scouting, find those signs. You know, even throw a trail camera up in the middle of the woods and see who's moving through it. Right. Any any type of scouting that's more intrusive, do that now rather than during the summer months when they mm-hmm. start growing antlers. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that goes without saying, move, moving those stands, it's also important that, you know, this is this is when you kind of do the prep so accidents don't happen. And by that I mean if you're going to move stands or you're checking stands, this time of year I like to take the seats and the safe lines and all that stuff off. Mm-hmm. And, if, and even sometimes I go as far as taking the whole stand down right. if I haven't taken it down in the last couple of years, just because trees grow, they're going to start tightening up those straps. You're going to be harder and harder to get off. And so, yeah, if I haven't done that in a few years, I'll go ahead and take the stand off. That way I can get a new strap on there or just yep. get it nice and tight, but not too tight that it's going to grow in the tree and I won't be able to get the stand off there. So Certainly. this is the time of year when you can do all this work and not have a heat stroke doing <laughs> it. Yeah. And not feel like you're, you're, you're really interfering with, um, you know, deer activity and being too cautious about yeah. it. Yeah, Get in there and do it and, and just, you know, be safe with all your yeah. tree stand stuff and, and look for, um, re- replace all that stuff. And the reason I say take those safe lines and seats off is because the squirrels, squirrels, squirrels will chew them up. No doubt. Know how many times I've left a safe line on a tree and I'm like, okay, I'll get it. Yeah, whatever. It, they're not going to do anything. I get back and the, the little knot that slides up and down has been chewed off. Right. Right. And so you're like, Oh, okay. I'll just, I'm just going to guide just, myself. I'll up just this. clip onto this rope, <laughs> and if I fall, I'll just at least I'll know I'll get my nose knocked off yeah, going exactly. down. <laughs> Scrape your face up against yeah. the tree a little bit. No at thing. least when I fall, I'm going to be stuck to the tree all the way down yeah. rather than just fall backwards. So right, right. That's that's why we advise taking those safe lines down now in, the, in those seats because squirrels could be a pain in the hind end mm. chewing them up mm. during the summer. So. So I guess an, another you know thing to do is really check the inventory of your food plots while you're out scouting deer. Of course, you know you're going to be maneuvering through the property and, and just take a good inventory of what a utilization cage is, is looking like, what the browse pressure is in your food plots because you know right now is the time before a lot of native browse starts to really bust out, and this is about the time where you're going to see the most browse pressure on your food plot. So you have a good understanding of, as I'm looking forward to the next year, do I need to add food? Do I need to change my management strategy, food plot strategy, because I don't have enough food right now? Or, oh my gosh, I've got an acre of standing beans over here and they haven't really touched them yet. They've they've touched the greens or, you know, the greens are lip high yeah, and the t- beans still have pods to your neck. Right. I think this was a pretty good indicator, hopefully to some people, and I know it's been an indicator of some of the properties we've been on with mm-hmm. clients is 
we need more diversity. That's yeah. one thing you can learn is go, okay, we had a very mild winter. I'm not finding many sheds. What is going on? Well, my greens are mowed. It looks like a herd of cattle got in there, but mm-hmm. the but the soybeans still have pods all the way at the top. What's going on? Well, we had a mild winter, so they weren't eating carbohydrates. And <clears throat> excuse me. And so I need more greens. Or I planted tons and tons of wheat fields, and I didn't have any standing grain. And, and it was it got really cold. It got really cold, and my deer left. Exactly. And so it's trying to find that balance of of diverse. That's another dead horse we'll beat throughout these podcasts. Diversity, diversity. We want to plant diversity. diversity. So. You need to find that balance. Utilization cage show they hammered the beans, but they didn't touch the greens. You probably want to convert some of those green fields to, to soybeans, to soybeans or any other grain. And so, just finding that during this during this spring, uh, finding the balance, um, so your wildlife can express more. Absolutely, and, and again, more this available. is this is the time of year where you're you're going to be able to tell the most about your the quality of your food plots because this Ooh. is through winter. March March can be one of the worst months. A lot of people, I don't think, quite understand because they're starting to get that warming trend, but stuff hasn't leafed out or, you know, they're at the budding stage or, or just prior to budding stage, depending on where you're at in the country. And your habitat. Some 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 timber stands or some forests, are they don't have that young growth. Right. They're so mature, closed canopy that there, there isn't. Nothing those, in reach for yes. deer. And it looks like a park. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get a visual of what we're talking about, it looks like a park. And, and, they, and these deer haven't had food for... You know, probably a lot of December, January, February, if you're not having the adequate food supply. And then let's say if you get an ice storm in March, that that's really tough on a deer herd. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just deer, not to mention turkeys and everything else. So right now is the best time to tell, okay, do I need more food, less food? Do I need to rearrange more of this, less of that? So um, and it, just and make and a plan a time- for next year. When you're thinking, like, if you're looking at your food plots and your food plots are just lip high everywhere and your native forage is just, they're eating <laughs> leaves, sticks, and leaves, <laughs> you know something is wrong. Yes. And yeah. that that's when you start considering, okay, is there anywhere else I can plant food plots? Now, mm-hmm. is there any, what is the ratio of my property? Do I have more timber than food plots? Mm-hmm. And if it's more timber than food plots and you probably can't plant anymore, time to start thinking about timber management. Yep. Whether you bring in a timber crew to try and make some money and, and open up that canopy or you're doing some hack and squirt or hinge cutting and just falling trees, whatever it is, you need to figure out if your deer have plenty of food. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great time to do so. And um, as we're talking about food plots and really kind of, you know, do I need to change, alternate my, my planting strategy? You know, once over your drill, once over your food plot equipment, whether it's a, a drill, a roller, a drag, a, your, your UTV, your sprayer. You know, now's the time before you get busy when the kids have soccer. This when the rain that. when the rain is coming and you're like, I need to get I need to get seed in the now's ground. Now's not time to realize that you've got a spring missing or you know, you haven't graced you your have a couple drill. bearings out. Yeah, or you're and exactly. so when you plant flat it, tires. It, yeah. Now is that's not the time to figure it out when the rain's in a, a two mouse, hours away. A mouse or, chewed the tube up. Right. Chewed battery wires and, and this and yeah. that. Take the time. And, and honestly, I know we're saying this because we've done the alternative and waited. Yeah. And then got to the point where I said, well, we missed that rainstorm. And that was the best one to plan ahead of for the entire season. Um, so we've learned the hard way. Take time now to do so. Do an inventory. Double check everything. 
just prep it and get ready for planting season because it's coming quick. And, and you may even go I ahead can, and calibrate. Yeah, if you've got the if you've if got, you've the, got seed, the seed, you can go uh, ahead and calibrate and get ready. Yeah, it depends on where you're at. If you're in the south, I mean, you're going to be planting. You're yeah. Soon. I know. I know people who are planting already. Yeah, South Georgia. So go ahead and calibrate and just get it ready. Yep. Because when the day comes, well, turkey season too. I mean, we don't even bring up turkey season. I mean. Who wants to, to honestly be? We've already done two podcasts about drill. turkey season, so let's let's try and focus on managing. So tough, during yeah, the spring. it is. And so we're talking about greasing, calibrating. Just basically, you want to have that drill preventative ready. maintenance on preventative track. maintenance. There you go. That's the that's the phrase. Check your you oil and tractor. Change it if you need to. Yeah. Um, just getting everything ready because when the day comes, you you go and you spray your food plots or. You're just getting ready for planting, and you see rain coming, you want to be able to just go and drop seed. Exactly. And that's why it's important to be doing preventive maintenance now. Now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what another, we got next? Oh, another one is prescribed fire. Oh. This is a big one. I, love I mean, it. huge one because for us and the properties and, and being a lot of timber ground, and even if in, in grasslands and, and um, just mixed habitat. Prescribed fire is such an amazing tool. It, it is underappreciated, underused, and underrated, in my opinion, um, to what it can do to habitat, to an environment. And specifically at this time of the year, as spring is approaching, um, and Adam, talk a little bit about timber management, like prescribed fire in the timber, what exactly a fire is going to look like, and what we can expect to come back after a a, a backing fire has gone through. Well, that all depends. Actually, you know, we talk about this a lot is prescribed fire in the timber is magical. It's Mm -hmm. one of those things, burn off that leaf litter. And it's just, you're just opening up that basically removing those leaves for a fresh green carpet of new growth. But if you're in a closed canopy forest, you're going to struggle to see that you're going to see, a fresh growth right after the fire for a couple weeks, and then as soon as you start seeing leaves growing on the mature trees above, and they close that canopy off, start blocking that sunlight. That vegetation. That vegetation is, stops growing. Because the, there's no for sunlight. For the most part. Right, right. And so you're going to see it go, boom, for the first couple of inches, up to a foot, and then it's done. Yeah. And that's that's the downfall of having a closed canopy forest. That's why we're not fans of closed canopy mm-hmm. forest. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep that semi-open canopies so sunlight continues to hit the forest floor so those native forbs and grasses can continue to grow throughout the summer yep that that's what we're looking for if you're if you're in a complete closed canopy forest and you're not you have mature trees everywhere and there's not much sunlight coming down and you end up burning you're really only doing a little bit of good you need that open canopy to provide forage especially if you're in a if you're in an area of high of a high deer population and you have a closed canopy forest and you burn that native vegetation is going to be consumed pretty quickly and you're back to not really that beneficial after a fire that's why it's important to open up that canopy let sunlight reach that forest floor and see that flush growth of native grasses and forbs throughout the growing season so it can provide forage throughout that growing season and take some pressure off your food plots don't limit it to three four weeks prior to leaf out yeah. Don't limit that, that native grass expression, not, um, excuse me, forbs and, and herbaceous plants, that expression to a three, four week period. You want to have that throughout the growing season. Absolutely. Because if, it, if you know, you're really trying to benefit the wildlife 
throughout the year, that's that's what you got to look that's at. You got to look at that open canopy and get some sunlight down. Yep, no and doubt. So, you know, prescribed fire in the timber is one of those things that can be dangerous. If you're all all fire is dangerous, you have to be skilled at it, trained at it, understand how it works and its benefits to really comprehend everything that's going on with it. That's why when you're burning timber, we almost always back our fires through the timber. Yep. And by backing, we're going against the wind or against the slope, and it's keeping our flame heights less than a foot. And we're just, you know, they may get a little bigger than that in certain areas, but for the most part, on average, they're less than a foot high. They're backing through. They're just burning up the underbrush. They're going to top kill some of the young saplings. And by top kill, we say we're basically everything above the ground. The roots are the still roots alive. Are, they're right. going to shoot back. Yep. And they're but they're in that early stage, so they provide forage for the wildlife. And so we're just sending a back and fire through our timber, trying to let some herbaceous early succession growth come come up. The downfall of that is if you are in a closed canopy forest, you're not going to get the full expression of full benefit of, throughout the full entire benefit. growing season. Yeah, but so that's our big. Negative it's still effect. better to do. It's still better than to no do fire. prescribed fire, whether you have a closed canopy forest or not. Because you do get some, but not that full growing season. Yes. So if you have a closed canopy and you you don't have a logger come in until later on or you can't go in and open it up, still do it. You will still will see results. And you still will see browse pressure on that native forage. But and it's important that you do that during the spring and not correct. in the summer. It's going to be pretty impossible to get a fire to carry through. It's going to be very patchy. Yes. So that's why we would rather do it when there aren't leaves on the trees. Now let's talk about like an old field or... Mm-hmm. Um, native warm grass, native warm season stand mm-hmm. of springtime fire. Those are the fun ones. Those are the hot ones. Those are when you can really, really do something stupid if you're not careful. And that's why it's important to know fire conditions, humidity, Haynes index, wind, everything. You need to be able to understand that. So that's why we advise everybody taking a class any landowner taking multiple a class. classes and if you don't feel comfortable at the end get a contractor to do it yeah. because they're going to have the license they're going to have the know-how they should have no know-how and it's not worth taking a chance yeah it, the wildlife is important but it's not that important yeah and um just just do your due diligence with it whether you're taking the courses or you're trusting someone else to do it make sure they're insured and um, go from there so there's yeah. our little disclaimer yeah but, Absolutely. And, and thinking about prescribed fire. So when you think about the different types of fires, let's just go ahead and we're talking about spring management, but we'll talk about the difference mm-hmm. between growing seeds of fires and spring fires. So we have spring fires, leaves usually aren't on the trees. That's really stimulating grasses. You're going to get some early succession, like forbs, herbaceous plants, but mo- for the most part, you're stimulating grasses to grow. During the growing season, that's when you're stimulating forbs to grow. So if... In a lot of these areas, you really, with when we're doing spring burns, you're going to be a lot more beneficial trying to grow grasses and, and help these native warm season grasses you're talking about. So that's where it's important when you're burning these, though, that you establish fire breaks probably weeks in advance. So weeks. that's something you can do yes. even during the winter or spring management mm-hmm. is establishing fire breaks. If you're burning, getting back to your question about native grasses and old field management, stuff like that, one of the easiest ways to establish these fire breaks, if you are just burning the field, is you can do it right now just by bush hogging and running a disc right around the outside for a fire break. Or you can go to the in back to the fall and run a disc around and then throw wheat so you have a green strip. 
all the way around the fire. That's what we're looking for. Or you're using a road or a creek, whatever. You just want to have a good fire break, and that's anything probably five yards or bigger that doesn't have anything that's flammable. No obstructions, yeah. nothing on Sticks, it. Sticks, leaves, whatever. All that's gone. Yep. And that's basically establishing a fire break. That's I, I, that's about as far as you can go explaining it through a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, running those fires is, is awesome. That's something that's very beneficial. Um, and it's 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 kind of fun, to be honest with you. <laughs> Adam's it's a, a lot of fun. If, if I'm you've ever been of... around Adam for long enough, you'll... He'll talk about fire and just bring it up random. I think he might dream about it actually at night. I, but I he do. he's a pyro at heart. Um, Absolutely. Just because one, they're fun to be around. Um, it's like and there's the so fastest, much benefit. It's yeah. You run a fire, you burn fifty acres, and the amount of early succession growth that comes back and how quickly it took. It's just it's magical. You can't run a chainsaw. It's kind of like a time machine for habitat management. You know, like a time warp. To me, I'm just imagine it right here, like. You know what I'm saying? I'm not following. Come yeah. on. Come on. You know it. Yeah. It is. I, I get it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> don't, just, don't just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to my wife all the time. Sure. Let's move on now. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, fire is kind of that way that it's about as close to time manage, managing habitat like God. And, and follow, Whoa. Me. follow me. Whoa. Now, now you're way, asking me to follow you? Yeah. All right. Please explain because you threw and, that out there. And so a lot of times... You think about how, how he managed, or how I guess property is managed a natural way in in the most natural way possible, and that's through fire. When it gets dry, lightning strike, or it gets really dry, and a storm comes through, and the lightning hits the ground or hits a tree, it catches fire. Boom! We burn hundreds and hundreds of acres. That's what happened before pre-settlement, if you will, before European settlers settled the Americas. That was about the most natural way of. Managing land and to mm-hmm. get it back to an early succession, a younger it's like state. It's constant cycling. And so it's like, I don't really like the way that field looks. Burn it to the ground. Like that, yeah. That's just what I think. Okay, well, you don't like the way it looks. Let's burn it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I like about fire so much. It's quick. And to, it's, it's, so, it's, it's, it's a regeneration. It's a recharge to me yeah. of the environment. Yeah. Let's go like back you, to that early you, you tender stage. You the paddles together and you stuck them on there and you went, Boom, boom. And now yeah. we just supercharged it. Supercharged, time warping. What if fire is magical? Godlike? It, yeah, godlike. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's everything and anything you could imagine, I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> we are not advising everybody to go drop matches and no, burn. No, please don't. Please and, don't. Uh, but we are trying to help educate people on the benefits of The fire. benefits of it. And exactly. Either, there is a lot. To it, um, and a lot of just a lot of benefits. We laugh, but it is a very serious, serious management tool. It is, no doubt, no doubt. And so, again, if you if you do do it, I just said do do. If you do it, be sure to have the classes and whatever you know states, depending on the number of states. I mean the, the... eight ninety four or eight ninety something like that. Go ahead. Depending on state regulations, it varies state to state, so you need to be able to check out and make sure you know you have all the regulations, the paperwork a lot to be of, able to do A it. lot of states, yeah, east and down south, you have to have paperwork or burn, Absolutely. burn permits. Here yeah. in Missouri, we don't, but um, you still want to check in. I mean, every fire we do, we call we the call local, local fire, Absolutely. fire department. So let We're not know. just hillbilling it, running around with torches, 
like the old days, down. my dad said they used to burn all around our family farm just by driving around, dropping matches out the window. No, that, just that's, it that's not what we're talking about. No. This is um, planned. This fire is 2017. Breaks, management plans, everything. Uh, again, and, and we do call. Like you said, we do call local um, fire departments just to let them know in case someone calls in and says, oh, there's smoke. Everyone's aware and knows what's going on. You know, it's under control, basically. Yeah. So, and now, honestly, we, we've talked about things to do, but there's a, there's a couple things that you don't want to do at this time of the year because – it doesn't yield the results that you want. You know, basically you're wasting time. Or and, exactly, and yeah. not only that, you're damaging habitat. Right. Possibly. Right. And, what and what we're talking about is um, hack and squirt on on a lot of species because you know these trees are coming out of dormancy. Well, they're first, mobilizing. Let's explain hack and squirt. Some people may not. Okay. So hack ahead. and squirt method is is basically a way we we like to manage timber. It's a quick and easy way. So basically, the hack part, you're carrying a hatchet, a sharp hatchet. And you're hacking a tree, basically just inside the bark into the cambium layer, the living part of the tree. And then you're going to squirt a herbicide into that tree, into that little cut that you just hacked with a hatchet. And that tree, is, if used correctly, will take in that herbicide into the root system and kill the tree. But during a time of year when the trees are starting to push nutrients from their root system back into the tree above the ground... Anything that is put into it, like a herbicide, will be pushed out. And that's the time of year that is now. During the process of transferring the nutrients from the roof, roots back to the top of the tree, that's when you don't want to do hack and squirt. Hack and squirt is just ineffective at that point. You're just yeah. wasting your time and herbicide. The um, only thing you're getting out of is stronger arms. <laughs> stronger forearms. Yeah. Carrying around a hatchet and, and bottle herbicide. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the only thing you're benefiting from. Right. And and so you're wasting herbicide. It's just that not this is the time of year you don't want to do. So there's let's a window. Say March, March in, in our region. May. Yeah, yeah, March, March to May. May. Depending on the species, too. Yeah, Some species yeah. green up uh, later. Like, what was it, two weeks Co- ago? Two weeks we ago. were cutting uh, locusts. honey locusts. They weren't doing showing any signs. But no the walnuts, resin was moving. Yeah. The walnuts, we were actually treating the stumps of the honey locusts, but the walnuts, I mean, they were pouring out yeah. um, water and nutrients. So it just depends on the species. Yep. And But as a as a whole, basically try to avoid that from March to May mm-hmm. here in the Midwest. And, and down south, it'd probably be more like uh, January. February. February. Yeah. yeah, February to April. Right. So that's kind of one of the things you don't want to do this time of year. Is there anything else that we've got covered or that we need to cover about? Just be careful about trimming your oak trees as well. Um, There is a fungus that can um, get into those new cuts that you're making. So you might be hinge cutting. You're you're trying to trim a couple lanes for, you know, season down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a fungus that can get in at this time of the year to those oak trees and oaks specifically. Um, that kills the tree. To me, I'm thinking hinge cutting. Yeah. And, and, and basically you're putting that in the environment right there. So if there's another tree close by that, that has a little, I guess, wound the, or the, something, the wor- yes. it makes it highly susceptible for that same fungus. So you could cause potentially problems yeah. in your timber by yeah. doing that. And it could be a hundred year old oak tree right there. That's just been raining acorns or whatever. And so but... you just want to be careful. Yep. Just and, a, a word of caution. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're talking about spring management. Just a few months ago, I mean, we were hardcore cutting trees, falling trees, trying to improve bedding areas, doing a little bit of hinge cutting. And so 
there's a time period just like hack and squirting where you need to kind of hold off on that and go to other management mm-hmm. practices. Yep. So you can pick back up later in the, uh, I guess, early in the summer. But as of right now, it's just a good time to hold off. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we're talking about hack and squirt. Now let's move on to prepping sprayer equipment. Did you add we, that we, to the list? We, we kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, the reason I do that and, and had it in there is because of the value of spraying fescue at this time of year. Oh, gotcha. Because okay. we're huge proponents of old field management. And right now you can spray fescue because it's in our area. It's starting to green up right now. But natives haven't begun to, to start growing. So you can go in in an area that has fescue and some natives spray off the fescue, get rid of that thick mat of, of basically nothingness, no beneficialness um, to the wildlife. I mean, it, it does nothing for them. So you get in there, you can spray it off, kill it, and now you've got more room for these natives to grow. And now is the time to do that. Yeah. So, so prep the sprayer equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sprayer, but spraying Spray it. it. Absolutely. So what do you mean by prepping sprayer equipment? I'm talking about like checking your calibration, you know, your filters. A lot of times in the wintertime, we take off we take off the hoses. We don't want any water or anything freezing in them. You know, maybe reattach a nose, check your nozzles, um, flush those out. If you haven't done that, clean them, do it, put them in hopefully a Hopefully they have before they put it away. They have. They've, they've winterized their pump, their yes. PTO pump. But the thing is, sometimes if you've done it, you haven't done it that much, and you, you start putting it back together. It's it's just a good time to put it together, put some water in that tank, and make sure you put it together it. correctly. Yeah. Because when it comes time to spraying, just like planting, it may be too windy or it may be raining, and then all of a sudden you get this window, and you're like, it's time to spray. You want to be ready to rock. Yep. And so prepping the sprayer, getting it ready, getting everything set up, and it's go time. And then we lead into spraying fescue, and you just explained why. Yeah. And that's just... That's another one, almost like prescribed fire. It's it's easy, so easy, man. You just, you just get some glyphosate and you spray that fescue. Now, I would not advise the, advise this in in cattle country on Make your sure you uncle's have- property, your dad's <laughs> property, your grandpa's property. And you're like, hey, grandpa, I'm gonna go spray some fescue for the wildlife. Hey, boy, you might get disowned. Yeah, seriously. Make but, sure you have permission of exactly which areas you can do so. That are based on just dead areas that he doesn't graze or have cattle on, and he doesn't mind because you can do a lot of trouble yeah. taking fescue off I of a man's pasture. I just picture what, what would happen to me, and I no. mean, I'm 29 married, but Take if I went and told my dad, hey, hey, I'm going to spray some fescue, he may say, you know, you ain't have a whooping in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say, good luck. I'm leaving you here. I'm going yeah. home. So I'm going to be around That's one for of that. those things. Super easy to do. Yep. Um, just like prescribed fire. And it's super easy to do, but you get huge reward out of it. So Absolutely. If you have an area, an old field that you're kind of like, maybe it's CRP type area um, habitat, and there's fescue encroaching on it or trying to establish itself once again, go spray it. Spray it off. Get it Kill going. It and see what hap- see what comes back. And uh, what comes back could surprise you. It could be something awesome. Extremely beneficial. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. So this next one. There, oh, I, there's yeah. not a time of the year that, honestly, you can't do this, yeah. and it would put a smile on our face. But right now is a good time. There's times are, of the year I don't want to do it. Oh, that's true. But, but you can still do it. You can still do it. This time of year, again, it's pretty cool outside. It's pretty nice to be able to go outside and work. Um, what we're talking about is cutting cedars. <laughs> and yeah. some people are like, some oh, people my are, God. What? You're doing what? That's my, that's my bedding. 
And this is another one of these dead horses. They're going to hear us talk about this all the time. Yep. Cutting cedars. And cedar tree, it's funny that you say that, or that we bring this up right after we just we just went and visited a place not too, just a few hours ago, and it was talking about, it was a herbicide aisle, and they were talking about how to control cedars. Oh, wow, that, was, that was strange. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen that before, but when you're cutting a cedar, basically to kill the tree, all you got to do is cut it below the bottom limb. That's it. Move and, on and, to the next one. Yeah, and they rot. I mean, the the sapwood will rot out fast. Heartwood takes a little while, but they rot so stinking fast. They die. Just cut it, fall it, and be done with it. Move on to the no next one. No herbicide required. That's it. Unless you're trying to do a different uh, foliar spray or foliar basil. basil. I, 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 I would just say cut them. Just cut, cut them. them or exactly. Run a bull hog through there and just <laughs> grind the heck out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just get them gone. That's all you need to do. Cedar trees are not beneficial. They don't provide any forage. If deer are eating cedar trees in your uh, in your area, you've got way bigger problems than those cedar trees. You, yes. you have a lack of food, um, and I pity I pity the deer that have to survive off cedars. Ooh, yeah. That would be a, a tough life. And so that would be like me trying to survive off broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> I'm thinking of like a saltine cracker. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, broccoli is actually good for us, and yeah, that is cedar true. for a deer. So, yeah, cutting cedars. That's just a super easy one to do. It's a good time to get out, stretch out the old back muscles, and cut cedars and improve some habitat. It's amazing to me how how quickly you... You, you can move through a cedar. You can move through oh. a cedar thicket. Yeah. Unless it's just completely dog hair thick. And yeah. it, you can still move through it pretty quickly. But it's amazing to me how just cutting cedars and allowing sunlight to hit the floor, how much stuff grows back. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. if it's an established stand, it's a mature stand of cedars. You look underneath; it's just it's just cedar needle duff. There's really nothing to it. There's not really dirt. It's just a mulch. Yeah, it's and horrible. there's hardly anything growing. And then you cut it, and it's just like a flush. Yeah, it's just a. And for example, on the family farm, I had a couple acres that we cut out mature cedars, and. It was within a few months, ragweed started growing. Mm-hmm. And we had ragweed five foot tall in those areas. And it was just all we needed was sunlight and water and the cedars to be gone. That's it. And so we went from no benefit to all kinds of benefit. That's the great thing about cutting cedars. Oh, yeah. So I hope the number one takeaway on this podcast, hopefully people get out and start <laughs> cutting cedars. And while you're doing that, go ahead and cut the Bradford pears down. Oh, there goes the Bradford pear comment. New is coming out. And actually, thank you for that perfect transition. Oh, I knew it was coming. <laughs> pear trees. We're talking about uh, pruning fruit trees. Now is honestly the, the best time to yeah. do so, um, yeah. to prune fruit trees. Get them ready for flower, flowering, budding. Um, and, and now if they're down south, they should have been doing it a couple months back. True. But here in the Midwest, it's, it's a great time to be pruning them, pruning the fruit trees. And uh Getting them shaped up and ready for next year. Absolutely. And and a couple of the key things to look for when you're pruning, and it's tough to really over-prune a fruit tree. They're they're pretty resilient to, to pruning. Um, but you're really looking for those branches that are um, at angles that you know if there's any weight to them, even fruit, ice, snow, that they're going to break. Because those breaks, those harsh breaks, where you're peeling back a lot and exposing a lot of the cambium layer, you're just asking for disease and fungus and bugs to come in and potentially kill that tree. Um, and not to ma- not to mention you're damaging um, a potential um, really good limb, supporting limb that's going to bear a lot of fruit. Um, so trim those branches that are basically more than a, at a 45-degree angle that aren't yes. growing. Yeah, that aren't growing 
So um, picture upward. you don't want them growing horizontally to the ground. Correct. You don't want them growing towards the ground, and you don't really, unless it's the main trunk, you don't really want it growing straight up. Correct. The, the outward Those branches, leaders. you want them 45, 45 degree angle off the or trunk. Or less. Yeah. Or, yeah. or just a little less. Yeah. Um, and really, the other thing that you that you really want is, is air moving through that canopy mm-hmm. on a fruit tree. It's kind of, uh, you don't hear a lot about it or the, the reasons why, but um, cool air moving through that fruit tree. So trimming in the center of that fruit tree is, is really important to allow um, air to get through there. Um, helps a lot in the actual fruit production itself. And I know some people that may listen to this and after seeing fruit trees all across the country go, you're supposed to prune those things? Kind yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, but they, but it, truly, it's huge for the health of the, of the fruit tree. And, and especially when you have a young fruit tree, because basically if they're not putting on the right shape and form, at a young age, they're going to when they do start bearing fruit, they're going to be awkward shaped, and they're going to oh, break those branches off that's later what on. Happened to you, huh? Are you telling me I'm awkward shaped, man? <laughs> oh, exactly, and, and that's why, like, hurt. you see a lot of those trees that grow out at a crooked. Yeah, it, it, they could have been fixed at a young stage if mm-hmm. they were pruned, pruned appropriately. Pruned appropriately, staked in the ground with stake, using a uh, tree tube at the mm-hmm. early stages. Just all those things that you can really help out a tree in this in this early early part of life. Yep, and the reason we do it now is because they heal back so quickly right now. Yeah, as as those nutrients are mobilizing, they heal and and cover those scars um, really quickly. So if you got a pair of really sharp pruners, um, those are the ones to use. Make a clean cut and move on. And it, and there are signs of like a, a fungus or whatever. You want to make sure you cut that and remove that from the site, not just leave it laying below Correct. the tree. And, Correct. And that goes with all of it. Uh, haul those haul those prunes haul all those, off. Yeah. Yep. And and I'll, I'll go ahead and step back and say, you know, if it's a, for me when I think of fruit trees or or orchards, I automatically am thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have apples? Mm-hmm. And it's important that cedar apple rust doesn't get to those trees. Right. And so if you see, if you planted the orchard, make sure you have cedar trees removed. So just close going to back the vicinity to what we of talked about, orchard. if there's any cedars in the area, make sure you get those cut down and, and yep. removed. So, yeah, I, you know, we've kind of covered. I guess everything about fruit trees, I think yeah. we covered it pretty well. Um, another, for me, when you think of springtime management, one thing that everybody talks about, because everybody talks about food plots so much, is frost seeding clover. Ooh, this is such a fun activity. I love frost seeding. Yeah, honestly. it is. It is fun. And, and you know, clover is such a small heart seed. It, it goes with saying that, I guess, frost seeding is effective with small heart seeds. You don't small, want to do it with a big soybean seeds. or corn kernel. Right. This is for clover. Clover has been very successful, frosty, even alfalfa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so chicory, even too. Yeah. I'm and so frost seeding. Basically, our goal is to plant the clover, broadcast it on the ground before you have four or five frosts left. So check your area, see when the last average frost is, and you want to try to frost seed before then. And that freezing and thawing of the ground of the top part of the soil. So. It, this time of year, we're dealing with it gets cold at night, ground freezes, typically. Not right now because it's so warm outside, but typically it freezes at night and it thaws during the day. So during that action, it'll pull that seed into the seed bed, and boom, you'll have at, great At the appropriate depth. You don't have to worry about that seed going in two inches deep. It's just no. right there, quarter to an eighth inch deep, 
just because of that slight freezing and thawing action. And then you've got a planted food plot, and it's a great time to overseed those food plots. You know, so if, if you've got weeds coming in um, to a clover stand, go ahead and, you know, the weeds haven't you know, grown up a lot yet. Go ahead, sprinkle some there. Know the weeds are going to come up. When they come up, hit them with herbicide, and now you've got dead weeds and clover growing. Mm-hmm. You filled in that spot, move on, done, go. Yes. And and that's, for me, establishing a, a, a really good clover stand. I like to start in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I like to broadcast it with clover seed. And and we're, we recommend about eight pounds an acre mm-hmm. for the clover. Read the, some some are a little bit different. Some, but on average, size. it's most of the time about eight pounds per acre. Yep. We broadcast that in the fall for a pure stand of clover. And we mix that with a with a wheat to be a cover crop. A nurse crop, yep. And then a couple months later... Now, so we kind of you want that clover to really survive. It has to make its its uh, its clover head basically, and it's just, and now that it's established, we're going to look around this time of the year and see okay where are the thin areas. Then we're going to go back and hit with about four pounds per acre in those areas to freshen it up, if you will. That Spice way, it up. That way we go through this growing season or this first part of the spring. Now we have a great pure Santa clover, and that's what Absolutely. we're looking for. So clover frost seeding is a great time of year to be doing that. Depending on where you're at, but here in the Midwest and even North, it's it's great time. It's perfect timing. So. Perfect timing. And if you're down south, you might be in the process of now doing clover maintenance. And what we're talking about there is is applying herbicide, or even if you're way down there, you may be mowing, mowing already. You may, may be mowing. And the best time to, if you're going to control weeds in your clover stands, is, is below eight inches. Yes. If they're above eight inches, the herbicide. And the strength of those weeds, honestly, you're you're gonna be um, beating a, not not beating a dead horse, but you're just gonna wasting be time. wasting your time yeah. because uh, it, it, they're just so hardy, and the the chemical composition isn't strong enough to kill them without destroying clover stands. Yeah. Likely, um, so it's important to make sure that in with the clover maintenance that we're we're kind of keeping our eye on. You gotta the monitor weeds them right now and see closely. what's growing. Yeah, and if it's over eight inches, you might as well get the bushog out or the weed eater and just start mowing it. Yep, get that back to a young stage, uh, young stage in life. And when it starts growing more foliage, then we can spray it with herbicide. But for Absolutely. the most part, you're gonna have to. If it gets taller than eight inches, go ahead and mow it. And when it comes to spraying it, I like a I like a spot spray them. Yeah. If if it's not totally infested, don't waste your time rolling over the whole food plot. Just go around. If spot you've ever spray priced them. the the herbicides that people recommend for clover, clover, they're Ooh. very expensive. That's you don't why I would you much don't use do. them a lot. No, but they're very expensive to get started. And just buy the right bottle. Exactly. So spot so. spray it, treat it like gold, and just move around your your plot. Just hit those areas, and and, and then go to the next one. Mm-hmm. So no no need in wasting you know getting your whole booms set up out there and applying so much herbicide. The worst case them. scenario, if if you have a clover stand, and you're like, I know I need herbicide, and you have access to a bush hog or whatever, just go ahead and mow it. Yep, it's one of the quickest and easiest ways to Set manage back. clover. Yep, is Set keep it back. is keep it mowed. Moving on, we're we're kind of coming down towards the end, but we have got two more topics we need to touch on. So next is um, mineral stations. It's a great time, important time to get it out. Very important. We've got bucks that. that are getting ready to um, begin antler growth. And then the other side, we've got does who have fawns. You know, they're carrying fawns right now. And and the last two-thirds, the last, excuse me, the last third 
of phone development is the most critical, and we're in that point right now. Um, and it, you know, just naturally it coincides with green up generally in in your area. Um, but it, it is critical. These these deer are based on their needs, the 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 functions that their bodies are going through desire those extra minerals, and um, even more so during summertime when calcifying of antlers and lactating um, does but now is the time to start establishing them if you don't have them out already we like to recommend having them out year round certainly this do. is the time of year not only new that, places there's new the new plants that are growing um depending on where you're at but there's all this new growth that's full of water and that's they need that salt in there mm-hmm. uh, and so that's another reason why they need those those mineral stations so and the reason we do like to keep them out all year is because deer can store minerals in their skeletal system and have it out all year long. So there's not a point in which they are really, really needing them. They've, they've used the supply in their bodies. Um, keep it out year, all year we long. don't technically want to see them digging in the dirt to no. get to the mineral. That's one of those things. I, I, I would much I rather them, I'd much rather them be able to access it out on the ground, uh, above the ground. Uh, deer deer don't need hole. to eat dirt. Yeah. They, they so, want the mineral, so keep it fresh, and uh, yeah, it, it's and not only that, not only is it great for them, but it's a great place to monitor deer herd with trail antler development. Absolutely, and see if Love deer are still deer. holding their shit or holding their antlers, and, mm-hmm. and just kind of. It's always encouraging and funny to see uh, that first little bud of antler that coming up because they're they're goofy, they're awkward, but it's it's in, the anticipation just begins right there. So again, it's a great place to to monitor. Um, the deer with the trail camera right there over a mineral site. Yeah, and I think last thing, and this is very dependent on the state. Yes. Um, here in Missouri, we cannot do this, but if you are in a state, this is dynamite time to be trapping for coyotes. If, if you have the ability to do so, obviously check your regulations. Um, again, those those fawns are getting ready to drop. Hens are starting to sit on nest, and poults will be hatching soon. Songbirds, quail, every, everything's quail. getting ready. Um, and if your state allows you to trap during the springtime, put some traps out. It's the time of the year to trap coyotes. It is very, very effective in recruiting those those poults, fawns, um, everything into adulthood so they can um, continue to build um, your you know, herd. There's a lot of research that shows that um, fawn recruitment rates have skyrocketed, skyrocketed. Through, through trapping during fawning season. No so, doubt. It's something that if you can do it, if we could do it, we would be doing it. Yeah. We would probably trap coyotes more in the spring than we would in the fall. We actually Missouri, may come to your property if you can just to trap. No, I'm yeah. kidding. But it is that it's important to do so if you have the ability to, yeah. no doubt. And if you're, you know, get out and hunt them. If, if you don't, if you can't um, trap them, most, yeah. time, most states allow you to hunt coyotes year-round. You know, they're out on foot covering a lot of ground looking for fawns. Uh, might throw out a little uh, fawn distress call or something and see what you can make of it. Yeah. That pretty well covers it. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. It's a busy one. Boy, it's we a, covered a lot of topics. A lot, of, a lot of diverse topics. Yeah, absolutely. A lot um, of, you know, in the field management techniques, but also prep stuff that's going to get you ready for those times that you don't want to miss out on. Planting, spraying, this and that. Um, mm-hmm. Sounds boring, but... It honestly is important because we've we've missed windows where we know we should have had our gear and, and everything ready, equipment ready. But um, now I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. Whether you're you know down south or up north and get you ready and 
And again, you know, a lot of the questions, what can I be doing at this time of the year? And those are the key key things that we're doing um, on a weekly basis throughout the spring. It's a good time for, you know, if somebody's interested in, in trying to, uh, they're trying to figure out how to tackle the projects on their place, uh, Matt and I actually consult. That's a big part of what we do. Oh, absolutely. And so they can reach out to us at landandlegacy.tv and check out our consulting tab and, and it, it, contact we've been, us through there. We've been on the road a bunch, thankfully. Yeah. Um yeah. With consulting trips, and, and again, because we can go out, we can scout, we can see, we can we can you know determine if more food plots need to be um, created or what what the state of native browse is. Um, it's a great time to do that and and um, get your property turned around and in the right direction. Absolutely, and and also we'll say that if they want to keep tabs on us and see where we're at, what we're doing, they yep. can check us out on our social media handles at Land and Legacy. That's on Facebook and Instagram, where we post daily all kinds of different stuff. So. I think that wraps it up, Matt, for yes, Spring Management Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.